Hello and welcome. This is Friend Request. I'm your host, Justin Lamb, and this is episode 51 with my friend Aaron. Aaron is the frontman of the band As They Sleep, and we grew up in the same town together, and he's a little year little year he's a little older than me um but we uh ended up working together which i apparently forgot about you'll learn early on in the interview uh when we were in our early 20s and then he found the band that he ended up getting signed in and we talk about everything from that band to being a father and raising kids who are now out of high school which is crazy because he's not much older than i am and you just really run the gamut on conversation. And I could not be happier with how the interview turned out. I hope you guys enjoy it as much as I did. And stay tuned after the episode when we drill Jenny Helms on being a therapist. We ask all the hard questions in a lightning round. It's exciting. I hope you guys enjoy it. And I will talk to you after the episode. Without further ado, here's my interview with Aaron. So hi, welcome. <laughs> thanks, uh, thanks for doing it, and and I, I appreciate it. And I wanna, uh, I usually start out with kind of recapping how I know somebody. And I, I've uh, I have a very specific memory that I want to share because it ties into your music too. But oh, okay, first I off, like, thank you for having me. I I appreciate it. Yeah, uh, man. I'm I'm uh, flattered. Oh, <laughs> um, <laughs> but like, so I I mean I know you from high school. And I like, I know your brother and, but we didn't really like hang out. But then after high school, you had a house that Chris, my buddy, Chris, I mean, your buddy, Chris, Chris, Chris Hay, yeah, yep. lived with, lived in. And that's, I think where I saw you a lot more. Um, that and, uh, on the border. Remember, oh my God, uh, on the border. On the border. <laughs> Holy shit. That's the first thing I was thinking about. I'm like, this is going to be one of the I first things we talk forgot. about. I forgot. Yeah. Oh my God. That's probably half the reason you ended up at my house too, not just because of Hag. We worked together. Yeah, I, I remember. I, oh my god! Yeah, because yeah. then you didn't you? Oh fuck! I'm having flashbacks now. I forgot that we worked together there. Because yeah, you had a party that on the border people came to yep. at that house, and then I went. I either drove there or drove home with like that Vanessa girl. I don't know if that's her name. <laughs> I completely, complete. I have. One picture. I was just going, I literally just sorted through all my pictures, um, like from high school and then after high school. I have like the pre California picture pile and then the post California picture pile. Um, <laughs> and I have one picture from working at, on the border and it's from Halloween. And I'm like all in makeup with a yeah. tall, like bird looking girl. And I think her name was Alicia. I don't fully remember. Wait, but... wait, wait, wait. No, it was Aisha. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I know exactly who you're talking about. Yeah, it's just she me was... and her in a picture, and that is like the only evidence that I ever worked at on the border. Except I do still have my little fucking sombrero pin that I used to put on the shirt. <laughs> she was super odd. She was yeah. an odd chick, like kind of yeah. cool, like just a bird looking. Oh my god! As soon as you said it, you nailed it. <laughs> Some people have distinctive features. I don't mean it in a bad way. <laughs> no, not at all. Oh no. my god! On the border, fuck yeah, yeah. Thank I you still... for tying that I... together. <laughs> I still have this distinct memory, like memory when, when like food would be dead in the window, right? Like you just fought over it. And like, I had like a plate of empanadas and I just remember you, I don't know why I remember this, but I remember you coming up over my shoulder and you're like, do you mind if I snag an empanada, bro? <laughs> I think hands down empanadas from on the border 
not knowing because they changed the recipe, but like at that time, were probably the best thing in the world. They're so good. <laughs> and we used to hang out at the chip station at the end of oh, the yeah. aisle and like unlimited salsa. And yeah, stuff. and make your own tortillas. So you're just like <laughs> through the balls in and like eat as much as you yeah. want. Yeah, Fuck yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I lived off that shit because I was living in Sycamore Creek at the time, broke as shit. Oh, yeah. And so like any food I could take from work and it, it felt like anything on that side of the line was free for the taking. So Oh dude, I mean, even though I had been <laughs> I had been blessed to be able to I don't even know how I mortgaged that house. Yeah. But when I bought that house, I literally mortgaged it in my own name. It was back in the day when they did the like, ninja loans. Yeah, give anybody like, no, any amount of money. Yeah. 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 And like <laughs> Same thing. I mean, I was still like house poor at the time. Like yeah. I would take whatever food I could find and bring oh, it yeah. home and stuff. Yeah. That's but, so and you know, funny. paying the bills with three roommates. Oh, this makes me That's so it. happy. Cause I feel like when I think about on the border, there's so many memories and I'm like, who can I even talk about that? with? <laughs> yes. <laughs> me, this makes me, me. so happy. Yeah. yeah I mean, and again, right at the, go, sorry. Ahead. go ahead. I was saying that was like right at the beginning of, I, when we worked there, I was actually trying to find a band at the time. I had played so, with yeah, this I is... played with Hag and the guys a little bit. Dustin Kring, who I I love Dustin, I still see him every time I visit Michigan. And like I was at the point where I was kind of bouncing around. When I had that job, I was like, just kind of trying to audition for stuff or find dudes that we could just get together and jam with. And that was like really the beginning of me like being like, all right, I'm really gonna focus on this and find some like-minded people who are going to do it. Yeah. You know, we're all going to be in the same level. I remember this is my, this was the memory that I was going to bring up. So the, I, I remember this so vividly and I was literally just told my wife this too. Um, cause she was like, how do you know Aaron? And I was like, explain that whole thing. But now apparently sure. I fucked up the explanation though. Cause I completely forgot about on the border, but I remember being at your house and I, I was over there. I think I was just over there to like either pick up Chris or meet up with Chris to go play some music or something. And you, I can only describe this as adorable. <laughs> you were so excited. That's frightening. You told, but you were, you told me that you just found this band and you were like, you found a band you're going to be in and you were super excited about it. Yep. And like at that point I was still like, I wasn't really in the realm of even knowing you were pursuing that. Uh, and, and when I found that out, like, and you were so happy about it, I was like, cool, man, like, good luck. Like, I, I, that's awesome. I'm super happy for you, but you were so excited about it. And then to watch that from a distance turn into like what it is now and what it became like is, is so cool. And it's, you know, I wasn't there for you guys first shows and shit, but just that moment I was like, Oh, I remember when he like, first, you were so excited. Yeah. He was like a kid in a candy shop, super geeked. Yeah. Found, you know what really it was too, because yeah, that makes sense. I don't remember that particular moment, but I'm glad that you do. <laughs> and uh, I mean, we're all forgetting shit anyway. But yeah, <laughs> um, it was like I found two other guys in Detroit. So when we when I we kind of formed it together, right? So yeah, it was auditioning on my part, but it was also like. I was looking for at least a guitar player and a drummer. They were looking for a vocalist. Yeah. They didn't have a name. We came together. We started making some original music and that was it. So like we, we all kind of like found each other, which was really cool. I, I say I auditioned, but it wasn't, it wasn't really that, you know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah, we yeah. were like, okay, we were all, I was running ads looking for guitarists and drummers and stuff, you know, yeah, like the you name were actively seeking it out. Yeah. 
I mean, and I, you know, I was, a lot of people don't realize this about me, but back in the day, I was, I grew up playing the guitar. I have been just a locked and loaded metalhead since I was a little, like, this is my first music I started liking. I was like, how do I make this heavier? Like, what's heavier than this, you yeah. know? Yeah. And it was like around age 12, I think. So with Metallica, I have had all the old Metallica albums, but then I was like, I needed heavier. What's heavier, you know? And then I really got into like Cannibal Corpse and Sepultura. That's and heavier. All that. Yeah. <laughs> well, so, yeah, let's, let's use that as a segue too to go back like when you're a kid. <laughs> right. Cause, uh, were you were, were you born in Clarkston? Not like at the hospital, but like we were born, I was born at St. Joe's. Yeah. But so, were you born, like you were raised in Clarkston? Yep. Yep. Born and bred Clarkston until I moved to Florida. And you and your brother are what, two years apart? We are a year and a half. A year and a exact. half. Yep. So about 18 was, months in it. Did that, was that like a, did that lead to closeness or <laughs> fighting when you guys you were know, younger? When we were younger, we fought all the time. But then by the time we were in high school together, um, we were, he just, what he was one of my best friends, you know? Yeah. But I was still like the dickhead older brother. You know what I mean? I can, I can relate. You can relate, I'm sure. <laughs> and, and I've even told my brother so many times, I'm like, dude, like now that we're all older and we have everything, you know, you know a lot more about life. It's just like, yeah. I apologize for being such an ass all those years. You know what I mean? Can you, you just call my realize- brother and tell him to tell me that? <laughs> <laughs> That'd be great. <laughs> I know my brother accepts the apologies, but deep down inside, it's like, you don't realize what you're doing to somebody when you constantly, yeah. you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah. yeah. Well, so, and, and it's, it's hard to, uh, and I mean, I go through this with my brother. We're, we don't, we don't even really talk. Um, Really? Yeah. But it's, it's hard to want like him to take accountability as much as I do, because at the same time, you know, he was just a kid too. Like, right. You just, you didn't, you were just finding your way the only yeah. way you knew how. And from the beginning of time, you beat up your younger brother, you know, or you, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? That's how you, one I mean, time, it's a coping mechanism, really. It's, I mean, one time Adam really got pissed and he punched me in the face and I was like, if you ever do that again, dude, <laughs> but I totally deserved it. You know yeah. what I mean? Oh, yeah. But, um, yeah, so no, we, we became really close, like in, especially like in the later years in high school and stuff. But yeah, I, I forgot even how we got on this subject, but uh, well, I, I like to kind of just get a little background. Um, and, uh, I, I, obviously I know you and your brother, um, just wondering, I wasn't sure if you guys were grew up here the whole time and then, uh, how you guys got along and then your, your parents were together right yeah they are still together okay. yeah 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 so matter of fact my parents wintered down here in florida i got them <laughs> they turned yeah, into the snowbirds yep exactly they yeah. live about three miles down the road they live in palm harbor oh that's gotta be and, nice uh, with the kids <laughs> yeah they love it yeah for sure <laughs> yeah. i mean we'll get to that too but my kids are so <laughs> old now um yeah but um, yeah, they winter down here. They're actually in Florida longer out of the year than they're in Michigan these days. So, you know, they like it. I don't blame them. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so what uh, what do your parents do when you guys are growing up? My dad is a custom home builder. So he did some developments, but mainly he would just do custom homes. He would, at one point, like at his height, he would have like a handful of spec homes built. Okay. Uh, remember that neighborhood we lived in off Sashbaugh? It was called yeah, yeah. Sashbaugh Creek. Yeah. So he built, I think he built like a dozen houses in there. And that's, oh, that's why nice. we ended up. Yeah. So when, when he would build a place and we lived in it, he would sell it 
we'd live in them for like two or three years and he'd build another one. We moved in the same neighborhood like three times. So <laughs> that's, that. what that's, he, yeah, yeah. that's what he did. Um, and a lot of the knowledge that he's passed down to me has helped me a lot, especially in the real estate world nowadays. Oh, yeah. But um, yeah, so that's what my dad did. That's what he still does. He's just half retired. They come out here for the winter. He yeah. doesn't. Yeah, he doesn't do any. He just retired down here. He golf's three days a week, and nothing wrong with that. Love me some golf. Yeah, you guys do. You, I didn't get out once. You'd think during COVID it would be the time I would finally go to the fucking golf course. Um, you would. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's got to be a lack of motivation there. Can't, can't blame things anymore. Um, individual carts. You get individual <laughs> carts. Yeah. What did your mom work? So my mom, she basically worked alongside my dad. He okay. was the builder. She. She's just like the ultimate mom. You know what I mean? Like yeah, she yeah. raised us and made the household go around, did construction cleans for my dad, did, you know, interior design stuff on help my dad design things. Like she's just, um, I feel like women like my mom don't get enough credit for what they do. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. It's like the whole domestic engineer thing. Like that shit is a full blown 24 hour lifestyle. Yeah. And that's why I think that women don't get enough credit for that sometimes. Absolutely. And I mean, you think about that. It's a stupid old phrase, but I mean, I think it holds true behind every good man. There's a good woman, right? <laughs> Absolutely. And vice versa, you know, yeah, yeah. you got to be a good extension of each other. Yeah. Look at you giving relationship advice. Um, <laughs> you know, who would have thought? <laughs> but, who would have thought? So kind of moving forward, though, your, I mean, childhood, anything remarkable? to note um <laughs> nothing that i can think of other than i had a great one and i yeah. had a lot of great friends and uh uh yeah that's pretty much it it, it was really hard to move away yeah. but it was something that we really wanted to do so how did um because like i said we didn't really like hang out or anything in high school um but what was what was your high school experience like i mean it was great i um because yeah i mean I, I, I think you i think we know the same people as far as like the crowd you ran with and stuff yeah. like that um we basically hung out with you know i probably hung out with more people that knew your brother than knew you yeah 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 and you hung out with more people that you and my brother hung out with you know yeah. what i mean we're when you graduated in 2000 or 99 uh, 2001 <laughs> or 2001 what yeah. am i thinking 98 i was I'm gonna say younger. 2000 or 01 yeah so, yeah adam's yeah, a year two older years younger. yeah yep yep um, so no, high school was great. Uh, ton of friends loved every one of them. I mean, I loved partying. Everyone knows that I was a big partier. <laughs> Did um, that get you into any trouble that looking back? Oh, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, <laughs> okay. So we can talk about the pitfalls of those days, which is I got three MIP tickets in the same year when okay. I was 18. I didn't learn quick, I guess. Yeah. Hey. Two, two of them were in the same week. So <laughs> <laughs> that was the lowest point. I'll tell you right now, that was the lowest point um, because I had just graduated. I was 18, lost my driver's license for like nine months. Then it was restricted. I mean, really made things suck. Yeah. I definitely learned a valuable lesson there. Yeah. Did you, but, was college anywhere on the radar after high school? I went to college for one year at um, uh, OCC. Yeah. And uh, it just was not for me. I went there for business. Uh, I did not do well my second semester. I just, I couldn't focus on it. Yeah, like no. it was just some, it was hard enough going to high school because that was mandatory, but college, yeah. it's like, yeah, I don't have to go. Yeah. 
Yeah, I and lasted I remember... half a semester the first time I went to OCC when I was 18. I was like, I'm going to not. <laughs> like, I slowly dwindled out of classes. And by, like, the, by mid-December, I was not going to anything. Um, <laughs> Wait, so how long did that last? Oh, I, then I didn't go back to college for 10 years. <laughs> so you went for, like, one semester, and then you were like, oh, 10 years later. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I shouldn't have gone my second semester. We're pretty much even there. Like, yeah. my second semester was nothing. Like, yeah. I just flunked out. Yeah, it was just so. it was literally just a waste of money, and I think it was free money at the time too, because I think it was like the Meep scholarship or some shit. But oh yeah, I didn't have threw it away. But <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I just wasn't sure if that was somewhere on your radar, if your parents were like pressuring you to to do that or anything like that. No, and this is a great segue into the whole music thing. Is is I honestly don't think. I, I love my parents for the fact that they were very supportive in anything that we ever wanted to do. Yeah. They were never like, you're going to do college. This is what you have to do. They were always like, you know what, do what you got to do something, but just we're going to support you in whatever that is. And um, they ended up being some of like my biggest supporters with the whole music thing, because, you know, in the beginning, it's just everyone thinks it's a joke. Yeah. That's just what it is. It's a joke. You know, I, you I know, know that well. You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, I, uh, um, it took me a long time to get that joke. <laughs> I know. And I never, I never would have accomplished the things that I feel I accomplished in music if they hadn't had raised us that way. Yeah. I firmly believe that I wouldn't have had the opportunity to give music a full shot if I had been coursed otherwise straight out of high school. Yeah. You're going to do this, this, and this, you know, that's, that's my opinion on that. I think that they'd, I, I honestly can't speak highly enough about my parents. They put up with a lot of our shit, <laughs> but they're some of my, they're like two of my best friends nowadays. That's they, awesome. They have, yeah, man. I mean, they're, they're still super able-bodied, you know, close to my dad's going to be 70 in a few years yeah. and he's still, he's still able to help us do like so much stuff. So it's, it's, it's good shit. Yeah, that's really that's really cool. And that's I I mean, it sounds like you're able to find a lot of gratitude in that too cuz I don't think yeah. I mean, especially just from talking to people on this show, like I don't think in my own experience, I don't think it's like as common as as people might think and that's really awesome that you're able to have that relationship and that support system and I agree. That's cool. I I you're absolutely right. I know a lot of people who just they do not have good relationships with their parents. Yeah. It's kind of sad, man. Yeah. I mean, Yeah such as life <laughs> yeah sure but uh it is what it is is it, it is what it is all right so since we're we're out of high school uh let's let's kind of lay down a timeline because i know some bigger events like we kind of talked about you and this band finding each other and then i know you have a kid around at some point <laughs> so what uh what's the timeline on, on your life that like the next few years out of high school and you get this house and that's a great question so um, got the house when I was 21, bought, built, mortgaged, um, lived there as a bachelor crib for a few years, as you well know. Yeah. And, um, and then I met Christine, who's now my wife. So this is a, a story that a lot of people don't know is my kids are not biological. Okay. I don't know. I don't know if you knew that or I, see, I know. I, I mean, I didn't want to make assumptions, but, um, wait, they're not yours like biologically yours they're not biologically mine no. oh for some reason i did think at least i don't know okay yeah go ahead no <laughs> i mean it's it, listen it's totally fine and i don't 
I don't talk about it unless people ask because the way I, I just want it to be normal for them. So yeah. like at oh, one yeah. point I was, so anyway, um, we're in the house, you know, I lived there, I think a couple, two, three years until I met Christine, who's my wife. She actually lived at the end of my road. We had a yeah. private cul-de-sac. I think I met her when you were still living at that house. You probably did. Yeah. Cause what happened was, all I knew was there was another younger couple that lived down at the end of the street. Yeah. And I, I never met him. Um, I never actually, I only met her like one time. Like I, I think I had a flat tire and I had went yeah. down to their house and she was the only one home. And I'm like, do you have a compressor or something? And that was the only time we ever met. Um, but tragically her fiance at the time, they had two little kids. One was a baby and one was, um, two years older and she was i want to say two at the time and um he died in a snowmobile accident oh man yeah so i heard about it and i was like because a lot of people i knew that were friends with some people in brandon ortonville area yeah, that's yeah. where he was from and um i heard about it and i was like honestly i i never met him but that's really sad yada yada and then like you know six or eight months later um we met and then you know, things kind of just started evolving. We would have started hanging out. And at the time I was like, dude, am I really gonna take on a relationship with two little kids? Yeah. And so we had Nick who was one at the time and Amber was three at the time. So, um, long story short, we ended up getting together and that was the exact same time that I joined the band that okay. we formed the band. Yeah. So Christine has never known me not being musically involved yeah. Until like being on hiatus, which I am right now. Yeah. Well, we can get to that. But um, so now um, my kids, my, my daughter, Amber, and I say my kids, I officially adopted them after we moved away. And because of the longest time, like my wife and I weren't married. She had a different last name. I had a different last name. And the kids had a different last name from us. And, you know, people, you know, asked them questions and stuff yeah, about it. And I was yeah. like, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to adopt. So we got married down here. I adopted the kids. They were both super stoked about it. They wanted to be Bridgewaters. And now here we are. The and Bridgewater like, name. Yeah. <laughs> they just, you know, they just, and I, sometimes I kind of feel shitty about it, but they just, they don't know who their dad is because they were just too little. When yeah. But, so I, I mean, and I, I don't mean this to be like a rude or anything question, but I think like some of the, some of the appeal of, of this podcast is I, I feel like I can approach these questions in, in a way that's not offensive, but like, no, absolutely. Isn't You're not it, gonna offend me. I mean, isn't it, I don't want to say better. Like I don't, obviously you don't want anyone to fucking die, but You're right, like, right. isn't, is there some strange solace in like the fact that like, you know, it's like a fucking Hallmark movie. You met this person who like lost her husband and then you sure. guys fell in love. And it's, it's not like a, Oh, they had a shitty ass marriage. And then I was like stepping <laughs> in and like, I'm your dad now. Like it wasn't like that. Yeah. So it, 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 it alleviated all of the baby daddy drama. Yeah. But I sure. just imagine like, I don't, I don't know what the, cause you said sometimes you feel bad and I don't know what you're holding on to there. Cause I don't, I don't from that story. I don't see you anywhere where you really need to feel bad. I can understand where you're like, they're your kids and you love them and you're, you're sad that you, they don't like know that person. Right. But right. At the same time, like they so, never knew that person and it's not bad circumstances surrounding it. 
the thing I meant when I said I felt bad is not only, yeah, of course I feel bad about the fact that their biological father passed away in a freak accident, right? Yeah. Um, but I was more so talking about the fact that they just wanted to be normal too. Like their friends would be like, why is your last name Vensel? And why yeah, yeah. is your dad's last name this? And why is your mom's last? Like, I was like, you know what? I I love you guys. You know, I've been the only one they've ever known. Yeah. Even, even Amber, who's the oldest, I think she was maybe two or had just turned three, maybe when yeah. her biological father passed away. And, you know, we talk about it from time to time and she doesn't have any memories of him yeah, sadly yeah, but but i mean you know I, I feel like everything works out for a reason it was we're we have a great family we have a great life um and the kids are old now amber's gonna be 21 in january i have a 21 year old daughter That's crazy. like it's nuts in a couple of months i'm gonna pour a huge shot and be like well it's time to christen this bitch <laughs> and um my son is gonna be 19 in january they're both oh, january so, so you're, you're through high school with both of them Oh, we're done. Like COVID had affected us zero <laughs> on the school tip. Yeah. Well, that's, uh, I mean, we'll, we'll get there. Cause I'm curious being a father of high schoolers. Um, but okay. So you're, you meet her, you start with the band. What's, uh, I mean, what's next? How long does it take? Well, first of all, how long did you stay in Michigan after that? How long have you been in so, Florida? We have lived in Florida for almost nine years. Okay. Um, February 1st, this upcoming year, like three months from now, we're going to be here for nine years. Okay. Um, we moved in, we moved on February 1st of 2012. So we lived in Michigan all the way up to 2012. I moved when I was 31. Were you in Clarkston until that whole time? The entire time at that house. Oh, really? All the way up and yeah, all the way up until the day we moved. That's crazy. Which was extremely bittersweet because... I don't know when the last time you came to that house was, but I had like this bitch in arcade in the basement. Like, yeah. Well, that's what point, I was like, just thinking. I was like, yeah. God, I really <laughs> missed out on uh, hanging out with you while you were here. Cause I was yeah. wrapped up in my own shit, but no, it's all good. And I would have yeah. hung with you for sure. I mean, yeah. there wouldn't have been a question about it. Yeah, At one point sure. we had a half pipe in the basement <laughs> and we would skate all night long. I had like, that is some Dan and Tim Robinson shit right there. <laughs> I remember one time uh, Tim Robinson came over with my brother it was at like the peak of the basement. Like when I had everything, Christine and I had already been together for years. The kids, I think the kids and Christine, we all lived there together. Yeah. And, um, Tim came over and he's like, dude, I'm like really proud of what you've done down here. <laughs> Cause we skated, like we skated the half pipe and like, we just got drunk and partied. And I had arcade. I had, I had like at that point, maybe like 10 arcade games in the basement and stuff. It was just a party haven. I loved it. Yeah. I think when I was there, it was, didn't you have like a, the highlighter Jaeger bottles <laughs> across the, Oh God. The... <laughs> yeah. Like all the way across the beam. Yeah. 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 That's, and that's around drink... the time when I was there. I still drink Jaeger regularly. Oh, don't, don't admit that publicly. <laughs> what are you doing? It's a great, stuff? listen, it's a great drink. I don't listen. I don't go hard on it. That's but fun. How do you a... not go hard on it? It's fucking Jaeger. <laughs> I think just making that decision is going hard on it. You sip the nip to set it off and then you move on to some classier <laughs> shit. That's all I'm saying. That's so funny. Um, but, um, so what, yeah, let's, let's go down the route of, of the band for a while. Absolutely. So absolutely. What, what does that look like in the beginning? And and when does it get like a little crazy where you're like, holy shit. 
So starting in 2003, we formed the band. We're a three-piece. Um, I start going. We had to practice in Detroit. So like the first six years we were a band, I drove all the way to our drummer's house every Friday. I'm sorry, every Saturday and every Sunday. I'm talking like clockwork. And we spent long-ass sessions. Like, we would practice from lunchtime all the way until – I didn't get home until, like, 8, 9 o'clock at night. Yeah, that's awesome. And I was – because this is, like, how we had to do it. When we first formed it, we all sat down and we're like, okay, we all admit that we've been in and out of a lot of bands that, you know, they ended up being – you know, we had different ideas of the other members and we finally had this core group and we're like, all right, so we're all, we're all going to confess to each other right now that this is exactly what we want. We're determined to do it. Although I was insanely jealous that these two dudes didn't have to leave their house to practice and I had to come all the way to their place, (laughs) but they were originally from grand blank. So they went to like grand blank high school and stuff. They moved to the D I'm talking in this little hood house shack. Yeah. I mean, outskirts of detroit it was a shitty neighborhood yeah back in like oh two oh three that wasn't the best wasn't the best oh my god (laughs) i I was just telling this story to um my boy last night i was talking to him on the phone and i said dude when i first joined the band and we were out there going to practices every weekend they had baseball bats leaning against like when you walked in the front door they're like dude the blackouts man what are you talking about (laughs) so i hated going there for it but i loved like that's how dedicated it was. I would drive over. It was at least an hour to get to where we practiced Yeah. every Saturday, every Sunday in the winter driving in the snow was like so annoying. Cause that's dedication on top of having your normal nine to five job. So like you well know, man, like music is one of the most thankless things you can do for the longest period of time yeah. until you do something. It's funny. It. It's funny that like automatic, like right from the start, you're kind of hitting on a couple things that I was just talking about this yesterday because um, someone's like, what's something like you're not proud of or something? I forget what the question was, but I was like, it took me a really long time to realize that like how much work you have to put into something, you know, like oh my God, I went out right. to L.A. and I played music and stuff, but like I didn't I didn't put in the work like I didn't really I didn't really work on it. And. <laughs> Like, nobody really tells you that in the stuff you're talking about right now. Like, nobody tells you the amount of fucking work you have to do to be successful at that. Like, people have these delusions, you know, that like, oh, I'm going to be playing this cafe like my normal monthly gig. And some guy's going to walk in and be like, oh, my God, here's a here's a million dollars. Like, that shit doesn't <laughs> actually it. happen. Like, I you have, have to do so much work. I have the funniest part of this story that we will come back to this in a little bit. But yeah. you're right. Technically... <laughs> That's what everyone has this like preconceived notion like, oh, it's just like the movies, right? Like a scout shows up and like, boom, <laughs> you're signed, baby. Yeah. Like, yeah, <laughs> it's it's just so not like that. And I can fully attest to that. Yeah. Um, so, well, yeah. So jumping back, you guys are practicing like religiously on schedule eight hours at a time. Yeah. I mean, so that we, we ran that train for uh, a few years. That was in 2003. Um, so over the course of the next like five years, we started playing in the local circuit, right? So we played all around Detroit, all over. We went to Flint, played a bunch of places over there. The machine you know, shop. The <laughs> yeah. All that stuff. Yeah. Um, we won this like battle of the bands at Harpo's. And then that was like, you just learned a lot of lessons early on. Like, right. When you win a battle of the bands, 
you don't win shit. No, right? yeah, you that win. doesn't mean anything, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> like Doug Podell from The Riff hosted it. This was like yeah. one of our first shows. I think it was like January or February of 04. Like we started in the fall of 03, played our first show in like January of 04. And I think it was this band dropped out of a battle of the bands and said, hey, do you guys want to be like our replacement? And I'm like, we were like, all right, fine, do it. It's Harpo's. Why not play Harpo's? You know what I mean? So we end up winning this thing. And then what we realized we won was a piece of paper that basically <laughs> um, obligated us to sell tickets for future shows that we needed to play at. Yeah. And I was Done like, that. wow, I'm already getting reamed <laughs> in this business. And it was just so... It was stupid, but you learn. You yeah. learn a lot. You you start learning immediately once you start playing out. And um, so we fast forward. We ended up playing several shows at Harpo's. We played uh, like the Magic Stick and the Magic Bag and the, some other theater. And we played the Shelter and yeah. St. Andrew's Hall. And after was a it, while, we... Was it cool to find yourself on stage at the venues that you'd been going to to see shows? Yes, absolutely. The one thing that was the shittiest part was when you look out at the audience and there's way less people there than when you were in the crowd looking yeah, yeah, at yeah. stage. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I played St. Andrews once when I was in high school and I was like, this is awesome. But yeah, no, you yeah. just, there's that like crowd of like 30 people up front and then no <laughs> one else behind them. And you're like, oh. <laughs> Dude, I think things really changed. So we played St. Andrews for like our third time or something like that. And this is when things were really starting to shift. We ended up playing this like pound the ground tour. It wasn't even a tour, but it was put on by some people in the Detroit circuit and we were the headlining band. So it was nice. like the pound the ground featuring as they sleep. And we played at, um, we played at St. Andrews hall. And I just remember that was one of the first shows that I realized we were gaining some traction because these kids showed up and albeit like maybe the whole place had a hundred people in it. Yeah. There was like these kids lined up at like the, there was like the front of the stage and they all had their like elbows up on the stage. And while we were playing, they just sat there and head banged the whole time, dude, like every song. And it was like, I was like, okay, we're not like five deep of kids doing this, but like, yeah, these kids came to see us and I don't know who they are. Yeah. And, um, that was like the very beginning of like the excitement. We know we were, we were having t-shirts made yeah. and when you start getting a, a fan base, that's not like one of the band members, friends or family or something. Yeah, I know. I know. And like, <laughs> I ended up, I went to great lakes crossing one day. Like it was after that show or some other show during that time, like around Oh five. Right. Yeah. And this dude comes running out of hot topic and he's like, dude, what's up, man? I love you guys. And I'm like, have we met before? And he goes, <laughs> I saw you guys at like whatever the venue was that yeah, we yeah. played the, the last weekend. And I'd never seen this kid, but it turns out he worked at hot topic at great Lakes crossing. <laughs> and I was like, this is really cool. Awesome. Here's a demo CD. That's why I'm at the mall. Take some of these demos, you know, that's awesome. That's gotta be so, super cool. <laughs> like what a, what a great feeling. It really is a great feeling for sure. And on a small scale, it's happened a couple of times since I've lived down here in Florida, which is insane to me. Yeah. 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 That's all to make that small connection. But 
uh, that's way later on. So I know we're trying to stay the course yeah. of it never works. <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> it doesn't. It really doesn't. It really doesn't. But um, yeah. So I mean, we ended up um, just playing a bunch, gaining like this fan base. We signed with an indie label in 2008. Okay. And it's called Luxor Records. So how does that and, how does that happen? I think that's the thing that like myself included people don't know like where how does it how does a, a label independent or not approach you and be like hey i want to give you a contract <laughs> well this is something that i'm going to disclose to you <laughs> that i have never publicly disclosed to anybody ever because at this point i don't care anymore it's ancient <laughs> history um we really decided like okay we have to do whatever the hell it takes to make this happen yeah. So we literally formed and started our own record label, and that was Luxor Records. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so we, but when we did it, we didn't tell anyone that we did it. It was like this major secret that we all kept because we're like, dude, we're going to lose credibility instantaneously if anyone finds out that this yeah, isn't yeah, yeah. some, so much so to the point where, I mean, we set up a fake publisher. We set up, a fake PO box that I arranged in LA because we wanted the label to be based in LA. Nice. And we did all these things. And the funny part about the whole story is, so we signed with our own label, dropped all of that. We had our own album art made. We had our own CDs pressed. We got, I literally got distribution myself through Best Buy to have our CDs in Best Buy. That's awesome. And next thing you know, so we did this whole thing making Luxor records and then, so now we got some CDs out in Best Buy and whatnot, and we're like riding this Luxor Records train. We ended up signing other bands. Yeah, I was so going to say, like, uh, so just, I, I don't want to step on your story, but uh, so anything I've put out with Chad, like throughout the years, we always just call it 90 Records. Love it. Um, just the That's number hilarious. nine and then the letter E, like 9E Records. And then when I was living in LA, like we would throw our address on there because instead of like apartment 207 would be like sweet 207, people would think yep. it was just like a business address in, in yep, Los yep. Angeles. Motherfuckers would send us demo albums. We're like, that's what the so fuck is awesome. happening? And I think that's like, especially early like social media and internet days is people from around the country, if they could find like a label with an address, they would just send them shit. And that's I imagine that's it. what happened. We guys. Did it. Yeah. Dude, we sent press kits to like every metal label so that you could fun. think of. And we started getting people that would send us press kits to this P.O. box in L.A., which had a forward on it that would send it to my house in Michigan. <laughs> <laughs> that is so, genius, though. It, like, dude, way to completely fuck over everybody. Not fuck over, but like... but. <laughs> Just fuck with the system, because yeah, like middle you know, finger to the man. Yeah, like if you were to call any record company or record label and be like, "Hey, this is blah blah blah. I'm in the band blah blah." They'd be like, "Fuck off." But if you call and be like, "Hey, this is blah blah. blah. I'm with a uh, Luxo Records," and uh, like, <laughs> right. you're gonna get like at least you know a, a a meeting or something. And it's funny that you can completely fuck with people that way. Like, and I'm happy to take that out of the podcast if you want, but it's, Oh I, my God. No, I think listen, it's amazing. I want, I want you to leave. I want you to leave everything in here. This is like <laughs> a full disclosure because at this point it doesn't matter. We went on and did even more after that. Yeah. And Luxo records became a thing of the past. However, before we move on, I will say 
Luxor Records didn't technically become a thing of the past. It is still a label that has like there's like 20 artists on it now. My old, uh, well, my our, my partner and I like he's our guitar player, Nick. He runs the whole thing now. We he ended up getting distribution. He got like a I don't know how he did it, but he merged with. Do you remember um, uh, Victory Records? Oh yeah, Victory? yeah. Oh yeah. So essentially, Luxor was like a sister label to Victory Records. We had distro through Sony Red. We had like what? budget, dude. Budgets for these bands to shoot videos. Literally, like you have given a new definition to fake it until you make it. You guys created a fake record label that turned into a real record label <laughs> that is that is something that i have lived and died by is the fake it till you make it oh my god slogan. Like, that is so funny to this day i might still get it tattooed on me because <laughs> i feel like every big thing i've ever done in my life required me to pretend like i already had done it to yeah. get to the next level yeah but so Luxor Records is still alive and well. There are about, I think, 20 to 30 artists on it. They still literally are putting out albums right now. They get signing packages, all sorts of stuff. So funny. So we did that. We, um, we rode that wave as long as we could, and um, which brought us to – that happened in 2008. And then in 2010 is when like we really broke out because we signed with a major label, which is – um, we signed with Solid State Records, which is also Tooth and Nail Records. Okay, yeah. So I don't know if you're f familiar with like Under Oath. No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Under Oath is like one of their biggest flag flagship bands on Solid State. So like MXPX. Yeah, I, yeah, I know own. Tooth and Nail because of MXPX. Okay, so we were essentially signed to the same label that MXPX is on and yeah. August Burns Red, a bunch of the, these other bands. So. They're considered a major, so we finally signed with this major label, and that's when things really kind of just went like, holy shit, nuts. For us, yeah. on our level, on our scale. Well, yeah, because you, I mean, at that point, right, you have someone that's now doing that shit that you guys have been doing, right? Like booking oh, yeah. shit like, and, like, figuring mm -hmm. out tours and studios and... Yeah, they, like, negotiated the tour riders and, like, what we were going to be paid each night, what we were going to eat each night at every venue, and, like, you know, they paid for, I mean, we were in revolver magazine. I still have it framed in my game room to this day, awesome. like our, our spread in revolver magazine. Um, I should say if we back up a couple of years before we even signed, before we did the Luxor records thing, we performed for record store day at, on this, I swear to God, it was like a pallet with a piece of plywood on it <laughs> in the back of a record store, man. Yeah. It was, um, it was this record store out in Utica, right off N59, and there was this big thing called Record Store Day. Yeah, it still happens. And it just happened, uh, uh, like, I don't know, less than a month ago. No shit. Yeah, they, they moved it. it. It was, I think it's in April every year, but they moved it uh, because of COVID this year, and it just happened, I might have been September. But either way, yeah, it just happened. And people still get super pumped about it because it's all limited edition shit. It's nuts because... So when we played for record store day, the guy that owned the record store, he like absolutely loved us. And he's like, we got a bunch of metal bands playing it. And they're doing this whole thing called the search for the next great metal band, which is being put on by um, Brian Slagle, who's the CEO and owner of Metal Blade Records, which is one of the biggest like Metallica signed with them. Cannibal Corpse has been on for years. Okay. Black Dahlia Murder, uh, Unearth, all these huge bands that have been on Metal Blade. I think Slayer was on them at one point. Nice. So 
they put this package together called the search for the next great metal band and it was a circuit so all of the 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 record stores that that were involved with record store day all these metal bands were performing at these stores and you basically give them your album and you let the people vote on who they like the best so long story short we end up winning this search for the next great metal band the entire contest they sent us literally esp guitars crank amps full stacks that's like, fucking awesome it was nuts dude atticus clothing like sent us all a box of just attic they just swagged us out with atticus clothes and stuff and we were like sweet we're gonna sign with metal blade now right like dude <laughs> so lo and behold signed, yeah we never signed with metal blade we ended up signing with solid state after that and the funny thing about you bringing up earlier in the conversation was people think you're going to be, you know, playing in the corner of some bistro and some dude comes in and yeah. he's like, bro, I love your style. So we end up booking and playing a show in Lake Orion at this venue. I can't remember the name of it. Um, this dude that worked there, he's like, hey, listen, there's there's some bands playing. We came as Romans came to play there. I don't know if you remember uh, yeah, that. Yeah. They ended up signing too with um, some other bigger label, like some other label. And uh, they were playing, I think, like maybe Red Eye Flight played. Anyway, so we played this venue and it was a packed house. Like there was one other band that played after us. I think it was We Came as Romans because it was technically their show. And there was literally a rep from Solid State Records at the show to see We Came as Romans. We played our set right before them, and after it, this rep was like all over us. And I was like, "No f way, dude! Like this is—we've sent press kits to your label and every other label under the sun." <laughs> he saw our set, and we literally got signed to Solid State in 2010, the old-fashioned way. A rep was actually an A and R rep was at the show. But so just to just to fight back on this, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, whereas I still think that's true. We're like you can be at the right place and right time, but you don't get to that right place without all that shit before, right? Like you're guys, you guys no. aren't playing yeah. right before we came as Romans at that set without all those fucking years of shit before that. <laughs> that's so true. So oh, that's absolutely true. Like, um, would you say if that rep was at that St. Andrews or Harpo's battle of the bands that he would have got that same? No, yes. there's not a chance. <laughs> so that's that's, not that's a what chance. I'm saying. You guys got to yeah. get out there and get that work done first. Like, Trust me, man. Like that's awesome. We put in so ma so many years and time of just constant. You know, what I mean, the struggle was real, man. Yeah. You know, it was it was hard to do. And then next thing you know, I was like, "Whoa, wait a minute, we get money now? Like we get checks? <laughs> <laughs> like what? I mean, don't get me wrong. Like everyone knows when you sign a record deal." I don't know if everyone knows, but you don't you actually do. make money. <laughs> you you're signing to do at least like a couple albums. And, yeah. you know, before you start making royalties on those albums sold, they got to sell through the inventory that they put out and uh, they have to make their money back on what they put into you. But I mean, we still, they still stroked a nice check and we got to divvy it up. We're like, okay, cool. Well, and don't you make we, all your money from touring? You do. Pretty much. So you make pretty much all your money is from touring and um, it's on your merch yeah. And that's really important. Like I always try to tell people if any bands or young bands, if I meet kids and they're asking about it, I'm like, 
do not ever let your management touch your merch. Your management should not get 15% of your merchandise ever. They can do 15% of managing your band, Yeah. but that's how you eat. You know what I mean? That's how you eat. Don't let them touch your merch. So, yeah. So, anyway, they kicked it off with this tour called the Very Metal Christmas Tour. It's a Solid State Records Christmas Tour. And we, next thing you know, we are for half of December, we are on the West Coast touring with all of these other Solid State bands. Like, one band I had looked up to since I was a kid. And I couldn't believe they were still touring. Which is who? Because, uh, it's called Living Sacrifice. Okay. Now... Here's the thing. They suck. All right. <laughs> I liked them a lot. <laughs> I liked them a lot when I was a kid, when I was like a teenager, like just where's the metal, like just flooding my head with this metal. Yeah. And um, they played that tour. They were the headliner. And I was like, holy shit, dude. Like 15 years ago, because I was 30 at the time. I'm yeah. like 15 years ago. I was like listening to you guys. And now I'm on tour with you guys. It's really weird. You know, they were kind of like veterans in this whole solid state circle. Yeah. And we played, you know, California, all over California and New Mexico and Arizona. And it was just a West Coast tour. And, and that was, we was that your first guy, like, funded tour? Like, were you getting That was our and... first. Yeah, that was our first, like, organized, funded tour that we didn't have to do anything. Like, what? they were just like. What was that like? <laughs> <laughs> it was awesome. I mean, you still have to, like, provide your own transportation, right? Like, they're yeah. not going to. Like, if you break a guitar, they're not just going to be like, oh, here, here's another one. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Like, um, so, you know, we had some pitfalls. You know, we had a tire blowout on our trailer, had to, you know, get that fixed. We were like, after a while, dude, like the several, however many tours we did after that, we were like, we broke down on every tour. We broke down on every tour. <laughs> but yeah, like the first time when we first started doing this, like, okay, sweet. We have, we have management. We have, um, we have, I don't even know what the, what I want to call the company. It was like the red light district, something. We don't have them anymore, but like A&R they, stuff or. Yeah. Yeah. Like we had A&R reps. We had people at the label we could call if we needed stuff. They, they literally sent a film crew from Ocala, Florida, flew them up to Michigan, shot our music video in this building. And we just had a bunch of extras show up. I mean, they paid for the whole thing. And then, that was done, edited. That was aired on like MTV two and stuff. And like, I remember my friends would just, um, they would send me pictures of their TV. <laughs> like they, like when you listen to music choice, right? Yeah, yeah. If you have it on the four hundreds or whatever, like when it's just got jazz, reggae, yeah. metal, rap. Well, I think so I sent you look... a picture of your CD at Best Buy when I saw it. Cause I was working at Best Buy at that point. <laughs> like, so awesome. I started working at Best Buy in 2008 and so when your CD came out, I was like, I fucking know this guy. <laughs> <laughs> that was awesome. Yeah. I mean, the, the difference in people, like my friend's mentalities, like through the years was so funny because in the very beginning, like I'd be like, no, nah, I can't hang out. You know, I got to go to band practice. Like I got to go to band practice on Saturday and Sunday. Like I didn't have weekends. Yeah. And they're like, oh, yeah, you got to go to band camp because, you know, American Pie was super cool and funny to reference all the time. And it just was oh, so boy. dumb. And the next thing you know, once we started to make traction and like my lifelong friends would come to these shows, they would just be like, oh, my God, this is like way more fun than I ever thought it was going to be. And I'm not saying that because 
we just entertain the shit out of them. But like, they just had no idea what it even was. Yeah. You know know what I mean? I mean, I'm guilty of that to some degree. Like, I knew you were into like Slipknot and shit, so I'd be like, uh, I don't think yeah. I want to go to any of those shows because <laughs> that's not really my scene. Um, I, and I it's funny because like... I was a snobby piece of shit when it came when it came to music, um, and so I think I would have just been like, even if your band was, even if you got signed in two thousand three or whatever, I still would have been like, yeah, but I don't know how much I dig that. <laughs> <laughs> so i I like to think i would like as support i would be there now but yeah my my 18 19 year old self was a piece of garbage so (laughs) oh my god we were all assholes back then like i definitely was if i could change a lot about myself back then i would but you know what are you gonna do it's the past is in the past um but yeah man i mean it was a tumultuous like decade the first like 10 years doing everything, you know? And the first, the first like six or seven years, especially, but, but that's, I mean, I think that's probably why you got to where you got, where you got. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I mean, I can't say we're, we're still like, you know, living out of a suitcase and I'm all over the world. Like I'm not doing that right now. You know what I mean? So So what was uh, just kind of before I jump onto something else, what was, over the last 10 years so after like after everything we've already gone over the last 10 years what do you think like was a couple of your biggest highlights as far as the band goes i think some of the biggest highlights are some of the things that i've already mentioned like just to be able to see your out like when we moved down here to florida i went into a music store and our album was in the store like, I was just like, dude, this is like phasing out at this point. Like streaming is already starting to take over. Yeah. So for me to walk into a music store and find like our CDs, like in stock, like labeled with the little divider and everything, I'm like, <laughs> this is blowing my mind right now. This was in like 2012 or 13. And um, I flew, I did fly back to Michigan a couple times to do some US tours. Those tours ended up, like one of them completely fell apart we had like the booking agency that we had set it up sucked horribly like we showed up at one tour location and we get there and we realized that it was a door deal that was just booked the day before and i'm like what the hell so like no one knows to show up i'm like this is not what touring is supposed to be right now you know what i mean so that tour ended up got that got cut way short i ended up staying back at my parents place for like another week in michigan and then i just flew back down to florida and um we have done we did a few tours after i moved but um we've kind of been on hiatus for like the last six years however we are going to be doing a third full-length album i have been in constant communication with um one of my other bandmates who him and i basically dream up and handle all this stuff yeah um He's the guitar player. His name's Nick. He's but the one running Luxor in the background. There. He, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. He really is. Like, he That's his full-time thing. He's a producer. So we record all of our albums at his studio. He's got a studio. Nice. And that's all he's ever done. Sorry, I'm just kind of like tripping over myself thinking of no, all this that's shit. Fun. You know what I mean? Well, let's uh, let's shift the lens a little because I'm, I'm curious about the other side of your life. Um, I mean, you, you going back to where we were, you have uh, – a one-year-old and a three-year-old now <laughs> and, and a yeah, wife. Right, and, yeah, yeah. Um, 
I mean, what's that like just kind of being thrust into the fatherhood role at so that age the, and with the band and everything else going on? The first, um, like, two or, th- you know, the first, like, couple of years we were together, you know you love everybody. You know you love the kids. You know you love her. And, like, you know, and I've told Christine this. I'm like, honestly, like, it was a really big like it wasn't easy at first because I'm adjusting the fact that I'm now dating a woman who has two kids. They're very little. I'm becoming their father figure, whether I like it or not very quickly. Yeah. And keep in mind, his family is all still alive. They resented me in the beginning quite a bit because they felt like she was moving on and she shouldn't be. And there were other members of that same family that another one, another person passed away and it was, um, a woman, but her husband was able to move on very quickly and the family didn't really give him any shit for it. So like, she really hated that. Yeah. And, um, you know, it was closing in on a year after his death. And I don't think there's any time frame that no. makes it, you know, gonna, like whatever. Yeah. Whatever feels like, different. Right. Yeah. So Absolutely. I spent the first couple of years really debating and I shouldn't have been because I was already well into it. And I was like, man, am I, I'm going to take on like this family for the rest of my life. Like it's not how I pictured my life. You know, you thought you're going to meet someone, you're going to have your own kids. Yeah. yeah. And now it's like, I look back and it was one of the, it was just a huge blessing. Like my kids are freaking awesome. My son and I, he's, my daughter moved out already. She moved out like a year and a half ago. She's on the other side of the state in Florida. So she's, uh, with her boyfriend that she met he's a good guy she's going to school and my son's still here so we have a lot of free time together i work from home a lot yeah but like everything really just developed into this like really good relationship where i just don't think i would have it any other way like i never i never wanted my own kids after a few years so like i i literally yeah. just got a, i just got a vasectomy back in like 20 <laughs> it was like 2012 or something i was like you know what time up <laughs> i'm not starting this over again like Snip it. i was like let's just yeah, yeah let's just do it so <laughs> mainly i was like i don't want to know what it's like to have my own biological kid and i don't even want to be faced with comparing a biological kid with my current kids. Like I didn't even want it. I was like, yeah. these are my kids. I, I've adopted them. This is our life. And for the longest time, a lot of our friends we have down here, they have no idea. Like they don't, if they don't ask, I don't tell. Yeah. They're just the group waters. I imagine, I mean? especially at the age that you kind of entered their lives. I don't know why you would, unless the specific question came up. Like, it, right. Yeah. Yeah. But that's, yeah, it was cool. This chick that um, we're good friends with down here, we we all hang out on occasion, and we've been hanging out around him for years. And like um, somehow or another, adoption paperwork came up, and they were talking about how after you adopt someone, you can't access that paperwork. Like it's harder to get a hold of through the court system than like you know, it's just yeah. really hard to get a hold of. You know, so and then we got on the subject and. And we ended up telling him like, yeah, well, I was like, I actually adopted our kids. And she was like, oh my God. And she like got up and hugged me and all this stuff. I'm like, whoa, whoa. Like we're just like any other normal family. But like, yeah. I don't know some people that really means a lot to them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, it's different. I guess I don't think about it because I've been living this for 20 years. Almost. Yeah. 
and it's isn't it like just on a side note it's it's almost sad to think that people think of someone like stepping up and taking care of the kids that like uh, as right, as like right. this grand achievement like oh my god you're not a you're not a piece of shit that's crazy yeah yeah, right. yeah. like <laughs> i i guess i'm just like way used to it but yeah. um yeah you're not a piece of shit <laughs> i remember when i did when i did the podcast interview with uh brett uh, with uh, Brett and Adam on Hot Butter. Yeah. At one point, I was like, "Dude, listen, don't get me wrong. I love my kids." And he's like, "Uh, you should love your kids." <laughs> we were talking about something off topic, and yeah. Well, that's. I mean, unless there's anything like to bring up in in between, I wonder what it's like. Just like the last five six years, like having teenagers and raising teenagers in high school, and I mean, are you? Cause I feel like you're young enough to where you can kind of still remember that same shit. Like we talked about at the beginning of this episode when you were in high school and like, was it weird seeing that through the lens of being their father? Yeah. So there's <laughs> definitely, there's definitely a lot to talk about there because I have a daughter yeah. and <laughs> I'm a super young parent. Like whenever we go, like when the kids were in middle school, right. That they were, 13 14 years old and like they have their other friends around who are the same age whenever we meet the parents they're always like 10 years older than i am yeah and i literally felt like i i'm still like a teenager in my head you know what i mean like (laughs) i'm just my brother once said like there's no such thing as adults we just just people who dress up like them when they go out and i was like that's so fair that's exactly what it is yeah so that's how i've always felt when i was raising them as teenagers I'm like sitting here, like I'm up later than they are. Like during, you know what I mean? Like I'm still like, I still feel. Yeah. That's I wonder like the being the, you know, the tattooed metal singer dad, like what it was, was was that a a source of my dad's cool or was that an embarrassment factor for your kids at one point? Not at all. It was definitely, they used it in their younger years as something that was way more of like a, my dad's cool. Like I remember Amber said one time, uh, I think she said it in front of like me and my brother and she was like, Oh, well, my dad's a rock star. So, and like, Adam's <laughs> like, we were like, Oh man, like <laughs> a tear in my eye right now. But, um, awesome. That, that kind of, you know, by the time they got into high school, you know, they're just trying to fit in in high school. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. So that wasn't something that they used to their advantage, but, um, whenever I met their friends, they were always like, Holy, you know, Oh my God. Like, Nick's buddies all think his mom's hot because she's still like a younger mom. And like, it's just, they just, their friends never expected us to be as young as we are, which is really cool, man. I love being a young parent because the kids are grown and now Christine and I can still do whatever we want. Like, oh, yeah, you know, we got through all that stuff. That's got to be nice. Like, because yeah. you're what? Are you pushing 40? Are you 40? I just turned 40. Just yeah. turn, Oh, yeah, yeah. You just turned 40. And now you can, both your kids are out of college or out of high school and you can kind of yeah. do whatever. Daughter's on her like second year of college or yeah, maybe that. third. What is it now? Third. So that's sweet. So the, I think the daughter thing was way harder for me than the son, because here I am, I'm like a, a super young guy. I'm not too far removed from that same lifestyle. Yeah. She's now a teenager and I definitely use the like tattooed dad thing in my favor all the time when it came to her especially like the boys that came over were 
like at one point I was like, dude, I'm trying, I'll try to like lighten up with them. And like, they were just scared to talk to me. And I'm like, why are they so weird? Oh, yeah. I, oh yeah. I would be, I would be so intimidated. I already had like <laughs> fucking dad issues from my parents being divorced. And then I go over and my the girlfriend's dad, some like tattooed fucking guy. I'd be like, Oh no, dude. So like, <laughs> so funny. I kind of, I kind of feel bad about it now. I mean, not, a, I don't, I don't regret anything because she, she turned into a really well-rounded young woman and she, I knew, so this is my whole thing. Matter of fact, my daughter owes me and I'm going to get to how that's, how (laughs) how that's a thing. But she really did resent a lot of the things that I did when she was a teenager. I, I, you know, I helicopter parented her because I was like, listen, you don't understand this right now. But one day you will understand why I'm doing the things that I'm doing and why, you know, you can't go here and you can't do this and you can't do that. And why you can't, you know, date this kid when you're 15 without, you know, some sort of supervision. And um, she ended up, she's basically a, a one dude chick and they, and he put up with my shit for a long time. And I was like, Amber, someone's gonna, someone you're going to meet someone and they're going to put up with my shit. And if they put up with it long enough, then you're going to know for sure that they actually love you and that they're willing to put up with my shit because (laughs) I definitely wasn't light on them, especially when she was like 16, 17, 18. And these dudes would come over. I wasn't nice to them. Like I just didn't like it. You know what I mean? I knew that that's how it had to be. But if I could scare them away enough to the point where, she didn't get you know used up by one of them and then they don't care like that was my goal yeah. so i don't know maybe i did it wrong i don't know hey it sounds like <laughs> you feel like it's mission accomplished though <laughs> yeah it is it is That's it is funny. for sure i think she has a guy that actually like really loves her and they're they're together they live together now and um they have a good thing going so i said in hindsight you guys kind of owe me because you know have you had I that have you had that moment where like you see her through the lens of she's another adult now and not like a kid little ones there's little moments like that i think it'll really come to fruition when she turns 21 in january because when you can sit there like your kids moved out she's handling her own business she's now sitting next to you and can legally just crack a drink it's like (laughs) what else is there you know what i mean like that's pretty much the the nail in the coffin right there that's funny yeah i'm why well, I, I i always find that question interesting with like just people our age because i think there's you know a lot of our parents still look at us as like they're kids you know i'll get yeah. i'll get in arguments with my mom she'll be like well you're my son i'll be like yeah but i'm a fucking 37 year old adult person <laughs> like you can't you can't address right. me like i'm you know right. 12 years old and throwing a fucking tantrum that's not what's happening yeah, for right sure. now. so <laughs> I think like, like some people like I can leave yeah. and I don't have to listen. <laughs> yeah. Some people, I feel like it takes a real long time to get there. So I'm just wondering, uh, you're a rare person that I've talked to that is in my same age group, but also has like now adult children. <laughs> so it's, it's for real, man. It's super rare. It's kind of odd to think about sometimes Christy and I will lay in bed and like, we'll just talk about that at night and be like, Oh my God, like Nick's going to be gone soon. Then what are we going to do? Like, <laughs> You dream about it when you're raising them, like, oh, my God, just one day, you got to get out, you got to get out. And then when they start leaving, you're like, oh, I mean, I think it'd be 
pretty sucky if Nick left right now. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But, um, and that's a whole other side. Like Nick is, they're just two different kids, and um, he's uh, he he works at Wentworth Golf Club across the street. He's now in the pro shop. He's one of those kids that played golf from the time we moved down here. I'd let him hit balls and ride around with me, and next thing you know. He's like a scratch golfer, head of the golf team, works for the golf club. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm really proud of both of my kids. I think they, they're they really good kids, and they could have turned out a lot shittier. Yeah. But it's like I had to be an adult about parenting, at least, you know? And yeah. Well, I mean, enough, we can... yeah, you've done you've done some, some great stuff, and I'm happy to say you've proven me right. Because um, when I was talking to my wife about, doing this earlier today and she's like who's this with i was like aaron bridgewater she's like adam's brother right because she's met adam before i was like right. yeah and i described you <laughs> not trying to like toot your horn what's the fucking phrase i don't know but like no, i was no. like no aaron's just like a genuinely good person and based on <laughs> really everything but like based on everything you tell me which includes something that i think a lot of people like at least half this fucking country struggling with right now is uh taking accountability for like maybe times in your life that you weren't the best person um is is like just more further proof of that and and i think it's like it's awesome what you've been able to accomplish and and the things you've taken on both like in a band and touring and raising a family and now like from the sounds of it having successfully raised a family and yeah yeah man no i i really appreciate that i do thank you for that because you just don't know if you're doing it the right way when you're doing it (laughs) until later on and you're like oh i guess i did that right you know well i think part Um, of it is being able to be worried about that like i think if you're actively worried about that that's probably proof that you're doing you're doing an okay job (laughs) yeah right yeah if it's not if it's not on your radar you you might be fucking up constantly (laughs) yeah for sure i mean i think there's plenty of people that it's not on their radar so there you go you know yeah um but that's there's definitely that's awesome there's a lot of dickheads out there dude and i just feel like my philosophy has always been like i'd rather have a friend than an enemy but there's people out there that just they just want you to be their enemy so there's nothing you can do about that man yeah antagonists yeah right circle yeah. full circle back to my brother um but, <laughs> but yeah i mean it is what it is i i've kind of made peace with it and you know if he ever decides to like go to therapy and address some of his shit then maybe we can have a good relationship but yeah until no, then. i mean <laughs> i guess people people can change yeah um well yeah i mean i've, I've we i've been a dickhead but <laughs> i like i like to listen, think i've man, grown up there is plenty of asshole moments in my life where i've done some shitty stuff i've treated people shitty but that's why i'm thankful to hear you say like hey he's just a genuine good dude like it means a lot to me at least like listen in the small times where i may have been a prick yeah the good outweighs the bad you know what i mean so i appreciate that um and like you know like i said i there was a time where like i just was a total asshole to my brother growing up yeah and dude when we hang out it's like we just click right back to where we were the last time we hung out and we don't really see each other a lot because i live 1200 miles away (laughs) but we hung out pretty regularly before i moved away and he came to a lot of my shows and supported us and just i was really thankful for that because 
he could have very easily been like, dude, you were like, he could have just been really turned off by a lot of the things that I did. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I was your typical like jerk older brother, but, <laughs> um, but I know that like, I love my brother. So I was like, dude, you know, we're all older now. Like, I'm sorry for being that way, you know? Yeah. 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 But, that's, um, that's nice. I mean, like I said, not everyone can do that. Um, <laughs> Well, uh, I don't know. I don't think I have anything else unless I skipped over anything you want to talk about. No, I mean, there's not anything I can think of other than... I think we covered all the bases. <laughs> yeah, we covered all the bases. I'm, I'm selling real estate in Florida. That's what I'm doing now. Yeah, so. what were you just recognized for? I saw something on Facebook. I was... Um, I got an award for the 100% Club at Remax. So I, I work in real estate full-time. That's what I do basically to make a living now, but yeah. it doesn't mean that I'm done with music. It just means I'm on hiatus. Right. Yeah, so, yeah. but I really like it. This is something that I feel like I probably could have done a long time ago. Um, but it's basically, it's just a, a certain level of when you sell a certain volume and you make a certain amount of money. Gotcha. It's to me, it's, it's, it's a really hard hurdle to get over. I yeah. think a lot of agents, they try and fail in the very beginning and they quit. And, um, I just really enjoy doing it. So it doesn't mean it's really just recognition. It's nothing is like, they're not giving you like money or anything like that. No, I know. But that recognition is always, I mean, yeah, I think it's, and and a lot of people, a lot of people have to understand that like in this line of work, you, you, you run your own business. You don't just because you're with a broker, it doesn't mean that you report to work at 9am and you're off at five. Like nobody tells you what to do. Yeah. You just have to you have to buckle down and be self-motivated to learn how to do it. And I knew that I could translate a lot of what I'd learned in my music career to this. Exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> I think, you gotta, uh, yeah. Your hustle you and your discipline that you displayed in the music career, I can see would definitely translate over into the career you have now. And I imagine yeah. that's been successful. Yeah, it has. It's helped a lot. And yeah. then I, I'm like, I won't let go of the music. I'm sure the same way. Like I can't, we've been talking about this third album for like five years now, but we really started talking about it a lot this year. Like it's going to, it's going to be out everywhere. Music is streamed and sold wherever they still do CDs. We still have the distro. We still have, um, we still have label support. So we still can make videos and stuff. I just don't know if we'll tour on it, but we have enough material i've been told by uh nick our guitar player he's like look i got enough material for like eight songs that i'm working on right now we're gonna start scratch tracking i'm supposed to have something that i can start writing to here shortly and um i want to be able to put this third album out soon so that's the goal that's awesome yeah well looking forward to it and uh you know if i ever decide that i want to buy a studio time i know who to call <laughs> <laughs> yeah let me know i'll plug you in man <laughs> well that's awesome yeah i don't have anything else and i i mean i appreciate all the time you you spent and stories told and no listen i uh i was thrilled when you reached out to me because it's always a treat when someone is interested enough in your life to reach out to you and ask you questions about it so. yeah i'm glad you're open to it because i had a lot of questions and i got more than i bargained for in a good way so <laughs> I appreciate now listen uh, I, I like to make sure when I do this like I set aside enough time to make sure it's done right so awesome man um, I appreciate you reaching out to me man I, I miss uh I, I kind of miss our friendship to be honest like dude if you're ever in Florida sometime seriously man I this is good catching up just 
I haven't talked I know. to you. In that's, that's been the most frustrating thing about the podcast is like, I have these great conversations with people and, and like, there's, you know, a select few people where I'm like, oh, this is cool. It's someone I can just like have a fucking conversation with and we can talk about old times and it doesn't feel forced. <laughs> like right. Yeah, for sure. It's, uh, you know, that's not as common as, as you might think. So it's, it's absolutely, it's great catching up and I don't know, being in different States, obviously I'll, I'll contact you if I'm in Florida, but yeah, if you yeah, come man, up here yeah, and you guys sure. start recording or something, let me know too. And we'll go. I'll do definitely something. do that. Yeah, I'll do that. Next Hopefully. time we're in Michigan, I'll hit you up for sure. All this and definitely if you over. come down. Well, it was awesome. It was great catching up with you. I'm going to stop saying the word awesome. I just realized I said it seven times in a row. And (laughs) I will will talk to you soon, hopefully. That sounds good, man. Thanks for the time. I appreciate it. Thanks, Aaron. All right. We are back with Jenny Helms, licensed clinical marriage and family therapist. And I will ask you one long drawn out question, or I'll ask you a series of, of quick round questions about you as a therapist. Let's do quick. Okay. Here we go. Quick round. All about your job and stuff. Do you ever get tired of hearing other people's problems? Yes. But I think that's really more about like burnout and me needing to be self-aware about my energy and then what else is going on in my life. Yeah. Um, It doesn't happen often though. And I think if it does happen often, yeah, again, you'll just have to ask yourself if you're in burnout or something else. So, yeah. But I mean, I, I want to be honest, like, yes, from time to time that does happen. Yeah. Um, I already know the answer to this one. Does a, does, do you ever have to vent to your own therapist about another patient, not taking your advice or strategies or suggestions? Yes. And mostly that's because like they say, like, don't let your anxiety lead session. So like, don't make it about, what you want for the client, even if what you want is good. Like if you want the client to succeed and do better and you're like, if only they would like do the thing that I think that they should do, you know, like that's, that's really more about your own anxiety. So I've absolutely done that because typically that's when as a, as I do like what we call self of a therapist, like I realize there's something about that dynamic that's touching on my stuff and I need to like resolve that so that I cannot bring my anxiety into the therapy session and make it the thing that leads what I do. Good answer. Good answer. It's on the board. Um, (laughs) It's on the board. (laughs) How many points? (laughs) 64. Um, (laughs) Such an odd number. (laughs) 64. Number one answer. Um, Are there days the job is fun? Yeah. (laughs) I found that to be so funny. That is hilarious. Um, honestly, most days are. Most days are. There's only a couple of days that I've had where I like, and I. It's so funny because they're like noteworthy to me because I'll leave it being like, man, today was so like sad or exhausting or whatever. Like they're noteworthy because like most of the time it's like really enjoyable and fun. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how sure can you be? that you're helping all the time? (laughs) That's a great question. Um, How sure can I be? Well, I think a little bit of healthy self-doubt is good. Like, I don't know that I'm always helping 100% of the time. Now, my intent and what I, like, aim to do with my training is always to be helpful. And sometimes I've even, like, stepped back in sessions and said, 
I feel like I'm like pushing something or I feel like I'm not doing, I'm not being helpful. Like I'll even just like call it out. And usually that's just like a moment of like repair and wanting to check in with your client. Because okay. again, so you do, you say that directly to them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'll be like, I, yeah, I'm, I don't feel like I'm being helpful right now. And this, this is like important because I, I need to understand where they're at in that space. Yeah. Um, and I'm very much client directed. Like I really, encourage clients to come to their own wisdom I think and I try to empower them again I'm not like here to tell them everything they need to do or and I'm not here to fix everything either like that's I'm a space holder so I know that the more that like I'm holding space for them to do the work they need to do in the time that they are intending to do it yeah um then that's what's helpful does that make sense um every now and then it might be something different but like I usually go back to that space because I'm very much client directed. Okay. What percentage of your patients do you actually think can possibly be positively impacted through therapy? A uh, hundred. I, I, yeah. I don't know if that's weird to say. I would say a hundred percent though. Yeah. Um, I believe everybody can be positively impacted through therapy. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm like, maybe I haven't seen or experienced something where that isn't the case. Cause I don't know, like I, again, a little bit of healthy self-doubt is, yeah, is yeah. fine. Um, but in my experience, it's been a hundred. I agree. And I'm not even a therapist. Um, <laughs> and then final question. It's a big one. Do you really believe in free will? Do I really believe in free will? Like, I feel like that's a, I feel like I need more context. Like this is actually, so the full question was the first one I asked there. What percentage of your patients do you actually think can possibly be positively impacted through therapy? What percentage of patients do you have to go through the motions when you're pretty sure they're hopeless? And then do you really believe in free will? So all three of those are part of the same question. (laughs) Wow. Okay. Um, (laughs) I believe that we all have a context and with our context, that impacts what choices we have. So in that sense, like, I think we have free will in the sense of we get to make choices given our context. Now, we don't have free will in the sense that we don't get to choose our context. So it's a both and. I think it's a both and. We get to decide given what we're given. Yeah. And we don't control what we're given. Yeah, that's good. I like that. I would all uh, so uh, and thank you. That's uh that wraps up these questions. And I want to thank uh, <laughs> Dave and Ian and Joe for their questions. And also, I'd like to point out of all the questions listeners have submitted so far that we've gone through, and I just like did a quick skim. And I'm pretty sure I'm correct on this. All the men asked about you as a therapist and your job and all the women asked actual questions. <laughs> so, That's so funny. I'm, it could be a coincidence, but I'm saying you might be able to draw some lines there. <laughs> um, and that's uh, all I got. Jenny, always a pleasure. All right, you just listened to my interview with Aaron, as well as a little Q&A with Jenny Helms on her job as a licensed mar- licensed clinical marriage and family therapist. I'm going to always screw it up, I think. And I hope you guys enjoyed that. I really, really, really got so much out of Aaron's um, interview. And 
uh, all the experiences he's had and how he's just kind of stayed such a, a humble and good person. I think that's, that's important to continue down that path as we get older. Cause it's, it's so easy to get stuck in uh, our ways and our judgments and, uh, you know, and he's not that person. So that's, that's great. I enjoyed it. You enjoyed it. Let's all hug. I'll talk to you guys soon when COVID's over. I love you. Thank you for listening. Remember to rate and review an Apple iTunes podcast, Apple podcasts, whatever the hell the app's called. You know what I'm talking about. Any rating will do, but we prefer five stars. And I will talk to you guys next week. Love you. Bye.